The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hi, it's Rob Moore. I'm at an event with 5,000 people in a stadium. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're doing a, a, a very personal live um, money Q&A session uh, for a few hours. And I thought I'd live my answer out to you, the supporters. So we've been asked, and I think it's a very good question, actually, about um, money institutionalization. Uh, now, I can translate this. So some people, when they're in a job or they've worked, especially in the public sector, you know, you're sort of ingrained that you've got said salary, you've got said tax. Um, you, know, you know, if you to double your income might take you 20 years going up the career ladder. And to a certain degree, you've got a preset money thermostat, if you like. Um, a friend of mine does this little talk where she says, what a lot of people do, and they don't know they do this, is when they go from having a job to being an entrepreneur, they get to the same level of money they earned in a job and they get stuck. And it seems weird because you think, OK, if I earn 50 grand a year um, you know, in a salary, I'm working for myself, I want to make 250 grand a year. But you get to 50 grand a year and you get stuck. Why? Because your money institutionalised, your thermostat is set. You are kind, that is your barometer, if you like. And so I've got some thoughts on this. And so I definitely think you should take notes. And they'll probably seem a bit scattered at first, but they'll all tie together. So the first thing is, you have to reset what you perceive as an amount of money. So I'd happily spend £125,000 on a watch and not blink at that. And, you know, I'd have blinked at spending £125 on a watch just 14 years ago. And there's some ways I've got my head around that. Number one is £125,000 for me now. I've got my head around that it's not a huge amount of money. And two, if I buy a watch for £125,000, I'll make sure it's worth £140,000 in three years. I'll buy it as an investment. So I'm not spending it. I'm simply moving it or investing it. So I think what a lot of money is to you is something you need to progressively increase. Because £100 is a lot of money to someone where £1,000 is a lot of money, where a million or 10 million to a billionaire, they'd probably not think much of spending £1 million on one thing, a car, you know, I don't know, maybe renting a private jet. I don't know. So this, and I really like the phrase that you created, um, is money institutionalization. What I think it is, is it's a, it's a set, fixed mindset around money that you find hard to break. So how do you do that, point one? How do you perceive a bigger amount of money not feeling like a bigger amount of money. One, you read books on money, you study money, you study money mindset. 
You watch documentaries on business people. You study billionaires and you learn about money. Because actually, when you learn about money and economy and currency and what the word currency actually means and GDP and the size of an economy and how many times money is exchanged, you actually realise there's no limit on money other than your perceived limit. I'll, I'll give you, again, I'm going to go on tangents, but stick with me because I think it's useful. So I'm not looking at you here. I've got, I've got a massive audience. Um, but some people look at competitors and get frustrated and think that the competitor is taking business away from them. But that is a scarcity mindset when in reality you need multiple competitors in a marketplace to have a marketplace. And actually your competitors help you innovate and your competitors keep you improving and you nick ideas off your competitors. So you don't feel like you need competitors, but you, you do need them. And there needs to be a set amount of competitors for there to be a market. Like I think it was Messi or Ronaldo said, without Messi or Ronaldo, I would not be as good a player because they're pushing me up. So how you perceive competition has to change. Competition is um, accountability, helps you innovate, keeps you growing, motivates you, creates a bigger market. A another example. Um, you could deem in some ways that Tony Robbins is competition to me. Now, he's bigger than me and worth a lot more money, but you could, you could deem that. Some people say, oh, Rob Moore is the Tim Ferriss of the UK or the Tony Robbins of the UK. They've said that. And I've kind of got a little bit of a like, no, I'm not, in fact, I'm not that. I don't know why I was so camp when I said that. <laughs> um, but people like Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins, who have more followers than me, I'm catching them up, I'm catching you up. They have opened a market for me to enter. Without Tony Robbins... I'd probably be, I'd, I'd do a third less business because he's brought people who weren't into mindset into mindset and I'm into mindset. So it's, it's turning a scarcity into abundance. So that links back to what's a lot of money. 100 quid is not a lot of money. 50 grand is not a lot of money. And part of that is you reprogramming your mind and understanding the abundance of money and then part of that is you earning more money because the more you earn, the more less becomes normal. So how do you do that? One, increase your prices. Two, if you've got one product and you're at that 50 grand a year ceiling, you find yourself where you earn your job, launch a new product. And then you have two products creating 50 grand a year and then you've got 100 grand a year. And that's kind of what we've done at Progressive. Those of you that have been with my company a long time, we used to have one course. It was called Property Investing Masterclass. We did it once in the first year we did it. We did it four times in the second year we did it. And that was it. Now we do 850 training days a year. So one way Mark and I have increased our actual revenue, even if in the moment we didn't feel we could... Like when that course was two grand, what, in 2006? I think it was 2008 we did our first one, seven or eight. Mark and I couldn't just go, oh, next time we'll charge four grand. One, the market wouldn't take it. And two, our mindset wouldn't take it because we were money institutionalised at that time, though in the private sector. So we just do more courses at two grand, more of the same or even new courses. So every year I'll bring three, maybe four new courses into my, how do I go from 20 million to 50 million? 
it's probably harder to sell more of the same courses that I do to go from 20 to 50 million. Probably a lot easier to replicate a vertical. I could do book writing courses. I could do LinkedIn courses. I could do Instagram courses. When I've built my supporter program, I can teach people about that and Patreon and all that kind of stuff. Next thing is who you hang around with. This is vital. If you hang around with people who also feel that 50 grand is the ceiling, you're stuck. But if you earn 50 grand a year and you hang around with billionaires, you're not bringing them down to your level. It's impossible. There's too many of them and they're too, big, too much of a big thinker. So the other thing that happens, they, they drag you up. You know, you start saying, oh, I better sell all my shit on eBay and raise 1,200 quid. And then the billionaire laughs at you and says, actually, you should start relocating to Mars because you can make billions in that or whatever. Their, their capacity to think and risk is just on another level. It, you, this is a massive cliche, so you all know it. But the people you hang around with, you become. So I like to hang around with people who are more wealthy than me or who are where I want to be in certain areas. That's not always necessarily business. I want a personal trainer who's fitter than me. You know, I want a coach or a therapist who's, who understands the mind better than me or the particular issue we may be discussing better than me. I read books from, about parenting from people who've got more experience in parenting than me. So aligning yourself with those people will definitely drag you up. The next thing is basic money management. So it was said about tax and stuff like that. So um, I've had in the last three months, £450,000 worth of unexpected expenses. Um, and Mark calls these irregular shocks in his book, Low Cost High Life. Uh, and, you know, like I'm not enjoying paying £450,000 extra expenses in the last three months, but I've got the money and I'm paying it. Um, so that's because I'm, I'm probably not as good at managing my money as Mark, but I'm not far off, but I'm better at enjoying it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's vital to create layers or levels of wealth. And I wrote about this a lot in my book, Money. So for me, the hardcore bottom layer or foundation is physical, like gold and um, watches and actual tradable physical assets or things. I don't know much about diamonds, so I don't have much. But if I knew about diamonds, that might be one of them. Why those? Because they're not, they're not as changeable based on the economy. In fact, if currency devalues, these often go up and they have utility if currency devalues. Like you could trade watches or gold if money, if there was hyperinflation and, you know, money was worth virtually nothing. For me, that and, it, and it's also to somewhat protectable and ring fenceable. And then the next level would be cash. Now, there are different forms of cash, but I'm just going to say cash. So savings or to a certain degree, a physical amount of paper, though it's not ideal to hold that for too long. Then the next level would be liquid assets. 
So that would be stocks, your ISA, bonds, you know, so assets where your money is protected from inflation and may have a, a, an appreciation value, but it's probably relatively low, like 5% a year or whatever. And you can exit within a few days. For me, then the next level is, is less liquid assets. And I would deem property as that. And, you know, property, I don't know, you're 90 to 180 day liquidity. A gold coin, you're as quick as you can get down to London liquidity. So your hours in gold, your seconds in cash, you're 90 to 180 days in property. And then above that, I think you've got your businesses, you know, which are so like progressive property. Like if I wanted to sell progressive or raise shares in that, that's probably going to take me nine to 18 months. But hopefully I can get income from that in the form of dividends, salary, etc. And then above that, you've got your risk, like money in um, Bitcoin, money in VR, joint ventures with other companies that you've got, punts. So there's about six layers of wealth there. I haven't had to dip into my bottom one for these £450,000 worth of expenses, but I've got that in that bottom one. Um, but I kind of had to go a, 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 a level lower than ideally I'd like. I'll buy oh, oh, your house as well. I've got a very low mortgage. In fact, I'd have paid my whole mortgage off by now. But Mark said that was stupid because um, interest rates are really low at the moment. So what's the point in paying down a loan with, with, at one and a half, two percent? You can almost arbitrage that and get eight on it or 12 so I'd got, I'd got my mortgage down to about 45%. And I was like, stop, which was really weird because I thought Mark would be proud of me. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's not lit that liquid, but it's another layer there, isn't it? Now, if you run a company, so you need different bank accounts and different places for these and different um, direct debits. And if you run a company, you need the VAT and the tax in separate accounts, i.e., VAT from, for the company, because basically 20% of all the money that you take. Because, you know, people always say to me, like, I reckon my four worst days of the year are the day after the VAT bill. And I remember when Mark and I had our first seven-figure VAT bill, because I remember him walking down the stairs in Cayman in the most beautiful villa you could ever live in. And he walked down and his, all of his blood was in his feet. His feet were huge and his face was white. I'm like, what's up? Oh, we've just had our, the biggest fat bill ever. Ah! Of course, I said something stupid like, well, we must have made it to be able to take it. It's a bit like you're having an argument with your wife. Calm down, love. Well, you and my off. It didn't make him feel it. Don't live that bit. <laughs> that didn't make him feel any better. So, but if you've taken it out of your company account and it's in another account, you don't feel like you've lost it. So the VAT goes into one account. And your personal tax, because when you, when you run a company, you pay tax last. When you are an employee, you pay tax first. So uh, Mark always says to me, save a third, save a third, save a third, save a third. You are saving a third, save a third. You are saving a third, you are saving a third. Like, yes, Mark, yes, Mark, yes, Mark, yes, Mark. Because we pay tax afterwards because we own a company. And, and that's one of the um, structural benefits of owning a company. Um, so... You want to set up this plan and you can, you can create a plan from my book, Money, because it's all in there. 
Um, and, and, and so to, so each time you make a bit of money, a bit goes here, a bit goes there, a bit goes there. You save up, you get your first watch, you get your first Kruger and blah, blah, blah. And you just build it up and build it up and build it up and build it up. Now, when interest rates are high, you'll be getting, um, you'll be earning interest on your VAT. You know, and you'll be earning interest on your savings. I mean, obviously, interest rates are really low at the moment. But when you're a big company and interest rates are quite good, you know, extending terms or reducing terms makes a lot of difference to the money that you can make if you hold cash for longer. You know, if you go from 30 to 90 day terms on your, um, on the bills that you pay, for example, it can make you quite a lot of money. So this, I, I believe it's vital that you learn to master money. And you can't learn to master money unless you're uh, always learning about money. And isn't it weird, all the, all the subjects we learn at school, and okay, some people do economics, but that's not full money management. It's different. But I think you want to have an ongoing personal vested interest in learning about managing your own money. It's almost like becoming your own IFA. Now, um, a, a couple more bits to add to this, and then we'll go to the next question. Is um, I don't think it's that easy to increase your prices by 50 or 100%. And let's say you earn 50 grand a year. It's probably not that comfortable for you to go and apply for a job that pays 250 grand a year. But think about, I mean, think about statistics. It, I reckon if someone who earns 50 grand a year applied for 100 jobs that pay 150 or 200 grand a year, statistically, they might get one. But why does no one ever do it? Because they perceive that they're not worth that. Otherwise, they'd do it. So emotions come into play of self-worth and value. Conversely, why does someone who's on 50 grand not apply for a 10 grand a year job? Because they're not worth it, but in the polar opposite meaning. You don't apply for a job that's less because it's beneath your worth. You don't apply for a job for more because it's above your worth, but it's all linked to your worth. So you work on your worth and you increase your worth. So things like forgiving yourself for mistakes you've made, changing the way you perceive business and business people and, you know, maybe mistakes around money that you've had over the years. Not owning the projected values that your parents bestowed upon you to protect you and love you. You always have to work hard or don't have ideas above your station. Go and get a regular, comfortable job. That's a lot of money. Never spend money you haven't earned, etc. I'm not saying some of those are wrong, but I'm saying they bestowed money values upon you. But in an old economy and in an old mindset, for example, you know, never spend what you've not made or saved it's good for bad debt, but it's bad for good debt. Because none of us would have any properties unless we got mortgages. But they never taught us between good and bad debt. Because they didn't know. So you owning the responsibility to yourself. By the way, I know this is still question one. <laughs> um, 
you owning the responsibility of mastering money and being a, a student all the time of money and learning more and more and more and more and more about money completely, continually increases what you earn and that re it's like reinstitutionalization of, you know, like essentially it's increasing the ceiling, increasing the ceiling, increasing the ceiling. So back to my point. Most people aren't going to go, yeah, I'll go for a job five times as high, but they're not going to go, I, I would go for a job five times as low. But if you had 100 grand in the stock market and it went down to 90 grand, you'd not go and jump off a bridge or cry yourself to sleep for a week. It's just 10%. If you got a 10% raise or you made 10% of your stock market, you're not going to strip, run down the street, celebrate, get hammered and buy the whole of Peterborough, you know, a pint. A debt, what is, what is it they call them? A dirty pint. <laughs> all, all spirits that we used to drink at university. You're not going to be over emotional either way, over a 10% up or down movement. So I'd rather you continually increase your prices 10%, 10% a year, 10% every six months, because you're going to be able to handle that emotionally. Your clients are going to be able to handle that emotionally. Your tenant's not going to move out over a 10% rent, rent rise, but they might over a 50%. Your customers are not all going to leave you over a 10% fee raise, but they might over a 50%. And then you can do it more incrementally, i.e. 10% every year. Rolex put their prices up 5 to 10% every year. And it just creeps up on you. I was paying five, five, five and a half grand for Rolex Daytonas in 2008. I don't think you can get one under 12 now. New ones, I think, with the premium. I think they're, what, 15, 16, maybe more. Keep bumping the price up, keep bumping the price up. You almost don't notice. So you've got to commit to doing that. Also, if you work on your self-worth, you find yourself saying things like this. I'm not doing it for that. When you hear yourself saying, I'm not doing it for that, you know. So someone has asked me to go and have dinner with quite a few of their clients. Um, so like, Rob, you know, I'm a fan of your work. I want to pay for you to come for a private dinner with some of my clients. And they're like, how much do you want? And it's, it's clear to me, it's, it's minimum five grand. I'm not going and having dinner with a load of strangers for any less than five grand. I'm just not doing it. I'm, I, know, I know I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go and speak at an event for any less than 10. Now, hopefully in 10 years, it'll be 25 grand and 100 grand. And a private jet, motherfuckers. <laughs> not you, of course, just them. <laughs> Although if they're paying me, I shouldn't call them motherfuckers. But apparently that means mate in some dialects. <laughs> Have I given you enough on that? You kind of touched on it a bit. All right, yeah. I didn't even answer the question. Satnam's just said um, he's free for dinner. Five grand, mate. Plus that. The institutionalisation was obviously from the point of view of when you're in a job, the tax is just whipped off from you, so you don't have to think about it. But then when obviously you're in business doing it yourself, you have to have that structure yeah. and, and, and responsibility. And I seem to fail on that badly. Okay, yeah. I'm um, moving stuff around from my tax account back in, because I've done everything in your money book. So uh, yeah. bucketing, all that, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, basically, so basically you're saying it's easier to manage your money when the government nick your tax off you before you get any of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it might be easier, but in my world, it's not better. Um, 
if you manage your affairs well, like you go on um, the Gov website and you work out everything that you can expense on your company um, and you get a good tax accountant, you could halve your tax or more by reducing your profit with, you know, expensable items. Yeah, do that. But the fluctuation is what I struggle at the end of the year to then guesstimate how much. So basically, you're just having a either accounting challenge or a movement and management of money challenge. This year is paying for education challenge. This year is paying Rob on all of his courses. That, well, that's all you should do. Just keep doing that every year. I love it. Which you do know is you can offset. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, so for me, I just have different accounts and I just park money in it on a direct debit. So I didn't even see it and I didn't even know it. That, that, that's what I do. And then I just every now and again get Mark to check what I'm doing. And then I get the accounts team to sort of to run the accounts on it. So I need a Mark. Yeah, or a good accountant. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for tuning in, supporters. I hope you found that a, a useful question to answer. <laughs> well, you are my supporters. Was that worth £3.49? <laughs> Keep paying. Some people unsubscribe. For £3.49. If you ever unsubscribe for £3.49, I'm shaming you in front of my whole community. <laughs> yeah, one person uh, actually messaged me. I'm cancelling. Why? I'm not getting enough value. Yeah, yeah exactly.